Good evening. So yeah, Tom, Welcome after to Learn English this magical podcast results and the way David Moyes has been Tim able to turn around the season. Tom, and hi, I've got Tim. Two How are you? Questions, really. I'm One, tired. Is, should he stay um, and be back very well, by Tom, the board? I think you'll know. Um, there's the, been a the new signing European in my family at the, uh, uh, the London she, uh, Stadium again. Came in and they've got it. Two centimeters, two point nine one kilograms. Um, and uh, uh, there's been a baby. And secondly, first baby in if the family. It's not be, football if related, to stay, but if he did watch that first Arsenal game with less than two days of age, of course, it was a loss. But they're not um, the biggest didn't club stop in London. Getting they're not back like the Real one of the top match later teams in, the week. in English So, Tom, I'm and incredibly like well. David Moyes has um, gone in there. And I'm sure had you some are really good seasons. Well He's too, had, I think, different two or three top ten right? finishes. He's now you are right, yes. Some really uh, good as you touched European, upon last week, uh, runs, not my just this season, but also the previous two seasons, I believe. So, what kind of a manager? It's a lot of pressure on a new manager to come in knowing that your previous guy has done objectively a good job. Yeah, I bet you. Are, Tom, I bet so, you are, and we're definitely Tom, going to talk about that. Tom, do you think he should, uh, should stay uh, in another one of those uh, late just in the season weeks this kind of football? Because every night of the today week, you called it a low football. block. Um, the big but match, previously, course, I've heard you call it uh, was, with a, was the match football with no, no attacking League, intent. Leg between so, Manchester City I mean, at home to Real Madrid. I mean, I know sometimes a low block when your team stops you. That's where we're going to score a goal, and you don't have the players on the pitch to create any danger yourself. We made predictions last week. And you predicted with your head, and I predicted with my heart, and your head was right. Uh, Manchester City the, were too the strong the, the kind of Real Madrid, and um, I think Real so Madrid think, was just one miracle That final comment he's able to make uh, West Ham after last perform season's above run in the, Champions the individual League. pieces they did have a lot of luck the on their side, and it felt like their luck had run out. I It was a total domination, Tom, and it did actually make me feel a little bit better about Arsenal not winning the league. Because I think now the world understands you know, what this Manchester City side what you would expect. is. And Tom, you've we, seen we, some dominant performances over the years, as you've the referenced there. You are a bit long in the tooth, the world which means uh, the amount old. Of money but don't get me wrong, we, we I'm the same age as you, so I can't, can't criticise so too much. Certainly don't um, consistently but yeah, Tom, like you know what it's like team. when Manchester City uh, uh, are playing their best football. It's like they suffocate the opposition. And it really was one of those performances. I'm not as convinced as I was of Months ago, because if Moyes does win the trophy, of course you and I both remember I the era of thinking, Manchester well, United's you know, dominance under Alec Ferguson, which given us success for the first some time European since success as well. But uh, however, the Manchester United teams, just like we were talking about Manchester suffocate City, other teams, you know, moving John Stones the into midfield, the way that this Manchester got City team the does. Ball and, uh, is that what happened? Uh, did they keep the ball have the away ball? from those? Uh, I want to see these kinds of innovations happening in the tactics of West Ham. I don't think David Moyes. Well, they did. In fact, I was after. No, I agree. I agree. He's not a fantastic quality. Realistically, I'll give you some statistics. You truly summarise. He's not going to West Ham. Um, we've got this maybe Nangles for any of our listeners who uh, have been clock. living in a cave but for the last you're, week. Look at, you're the match at the ended top, four top nil to Manchester managers. City, um, five one on aggregate for West Ham. The they're not but really going after to be fifteen minutes, Tom. Um, that kind uh, Real Madrid. Had and what, what do you think about my other question about if they were to so less than what kind of message and Manchester City who had completed hundred and twenty-four passes in that same time period, the first fifteen minutes, six Real Madrid players hadn't completed a pass or. 
attempts you, you at the pass. You make a good point. So you sack a realistically, in that first 15 minutes, trophy, you're looking at only five players in the Real Madrid, Real Madrid side who actually managed to make Capello a pass stick. And when, when I say to make a pass so stick, it's not it means unusual to, uh, to, make, to make a successful pass, to complete the pass. They don't stay for a in that time, Courtois, the Real Madrid goalkeeper, made two absolutely crucial saves from Erling Haaland. The first one was a result of very good anticipation and positioning. Anyway. Uh, he was so in the right place for a Haaland header that, uh, it came off his body the, the uh, and you can say the he was lucky that Haaland didn't has. put it either side uh, of him but I think I, you've got I to give credit to Courtois that, uh, the second you know, save one of those big names um, Erling Haaland it was yet, a header but it he did is absolutely everything right uh, he, he drilled his header back, back across the goalkeeper from where from the direction it had come from and Courtois Stuck like out Brighton a hand. It was a magical hand. Nobody, uh, I thought uh, I it was in. I was half off my seat. Um, and then there are I thought, wow, after that second save, and having seen the domination uh, of the first 15 I mean, minutes and thinking it's still nil-nil, are Manchester, Manchester City going to get frustrated? A bit like they did in the first leg. So will Real Madrid be able to find a way back into the game? But it wasn't the case. It really wasn't the case. Manchester City kept on turning the screw, which means to mean, means to apply and more and more pressure and um, Not a it wasn't just the manager, first 15 minutes at half time who could Manchester City had had 196 touches in the final yeah, fair third um, and Real Madrid really had had 10 you're saying touches I just in think, the final um, third at half time it was when a manager has success you need to stick him especially considering he might be losing Declan Rice this summer I sent out a text message to some of my friends after about 15 minutes after the first goal said this is going to be three in that changing room there, City because it was there, exactly the same feeling would, I had be a lot of influence lost very in the same summer. Um, so the so statistics you're describing are reminiscent uh, of Fiorentina, when a, uh, a, a European great I remember Arsenal Fiorentina in the Champions League with Gabriel Batistuta which is scoring for them. I mean, I've been to the Florence Stadium. They're a wonderful set of fans. They'll definitely be up for the match. You could argue West Ham, as you say, have got the bigger budget, but you would definitely also argue that Fiorentina have the more European pedigree, meaning they've got more experience and possibly know-how at that level. Is the, so that is the hundred million dollar think, question Tom, going forward. Can, you can't uh, really course, know, but I'd um, like to say that, um, that it was a Manchester um, City performance. They're, they're ninth in Serie A. Um, so I do so think not having a great think season. Real Madrid are the kind of side that if you give either. them a tiny so bit of an opportunity forward, in a think, game, so what do you, if you think let they can them expect build the confidence? Final. If you let them find a way to build possession and create chances, then they do have the quality to kick into gear, which means to find their rhythm. And Manchester City simply didn't give them that opportunity. In fact, one of the questions I've, I've written for myself on my notes are, they were was this Real Madrid or a newly promoted team? Like and it really was like that. I mean, you could think about Barak. some of the league uh, matches this season between Manchester City and maybe like, you know, Nottingham Cup, Forest or Sophia something like that. And they were very comparable. Uh, there was literally no chances. Uh, uh, so really good clear-cut chances for Real Madrid. Cruz did have a long-range shot. In the first half, one of them still 
nil. Having uh, the majority of nil, the ball. Nil, or one nil Manchester uh, but City. West Ham will and that be was dangerous over the bar the break by Edison. And when I say tipped uh, over, you know, it means you touch it with your three, fingertips, Antonio, which are the end parts ben of your Rama finger. And, um, and it was a good strike. And I think if that had gone in, um, Real Madrid would have had that confidence boost that they needed. But it wouldn't have been a fair reflection of what we'd seen on the pitch. We can be very, very dangerous, especially in context. The last time Real Madrid suffered such a bad defeat in Europe, I believe it was... uh, 5 uh, nil against to, AC to Milan in 1989. And that AC Milan that we, side was one of the great European sides in history. Um, and, uh, and I think we might be thinking about something similar with Manchester City. I mean, objectively, they reached the final two seasons ago. Uh, they reached the semi-final last season. And it was really it was a miracle that they didn't beat the Manchester United, uh, Manchester, uh, Real Madrid's uh, last Fiorentina season. Uh, good, they depended. I There were Rodrigo moments later. Uh, but they are having a very good season. Time, they could win a cup uh, double what this year. For I think they're in the final um, of the Italian Those cup miracles weren't well, there this season. So. Uh, um, nice. Just to put, um, like, yeah, talking about Italian, it's not a one-off say performance. The Nobody's surprised that the two best teams have got to the final. Games I think it's good for world football the that uh, an Italian team is 23 games unbeaten in all competitions, home and away. Italian football hasn't been at its best I think, Tom, I really want to know is why I didn't back Manchester really last week when we made We've our predictions really because exciting thinking about it I should and have done you see some of these um, my football brain from Italy was probably telling me to back not that I think I've just Italian been you know Napoli, all those miracles from Madrid all those uh, rabbit sassuolo the on their day um, um, makes you start even to AC believe Milan the, the, the narrative that Madrid season. can do anything um, in any, in any position football healthy and it's great to see a league know they've got it's not just one or two big clubs they've got the two Milan clubs they've got Juventus they've got Roma they've got Lazio Napoli of course turning up at that game last week it is an exciting league and I think the fact that it's moving away from this kind of defensive based football is only going to lead to greater things for Italian football I think the international market will be more interested in buying TV rights for high amounts of money so maybe they can start competing on a Real financial Madrid. level but, with, uh, with Spain you know, statistically, and, and of course, when the Premier League. Look at the performance um, of Real Madrid over maybe this you're year, uh, old you enough to remember the team in the La Liga. Italian football, uh, they it was did the win dominant Copa del Rey, league uh, in European football in the 1980s. Couple of weeks ago against Osasuna, it kind of had a, but it has a been a slow decline season through the 90s, and then in comparison with Manchester City, who are doing what they have done around 2005 for the last five years, and it's taken a long time to recover almost 20 years. It does They're seem like always we have a renaissance. It tends to start at about February. Yeah, and fair play because uh, they're very peaking, passionate football you know, fans. They love their, their clubs. Their form is peaking at just the right time. It's one of those countries, as uh, I said, they've got six big clubs. That doesn't happen me, if, you, if you've you got, the game. Uh, like in Spain, this around Madrid or a Barcelona dominance. It's good for the ecosystem of football when there's lots at the beginning of the season. You don't really know who's going to be up there. Look at Napoli this season. I think they are at this point in the season. I think if you'd have asked me, this, it's been another um, great January week of European football. Uh, we've got I the might have said that no, they weren't because and they were relying then, on moments uh, individual uh, running, um, genius in, or, in the league or dominant leagues all across Europe and, and some and finals as well. So they're kind of passing game, but the two didn't still really fit together. But I think what's um, really happened over the last two or three months is they've found a way to get the best out of Ireland, not just in terms of scoring, but in terms of 
moving the defence around, this, this dragging defenders with him, creating space uh, for other players. Um, and Arsenal uh, Erling Haaland didn't with score in one of the, the greatest matches against Real Madrid, but in the Premier League, he didn't have an influence on the European game. Football, um, so I, I, I would the say they arguably are, Tom. I think anyone who really kind of previously criticised Manchester City for wanting to score the perfect goal, Guardiola's greatest teams could sit back against them. I mean, it's hard to say. Really, maybe you know he has Messi and all those great players. But Barcelona, I think two things have happened. One is the Haaland integration, but, but also to think be in the, that conversation, the kind of flexible um, role shows that, uh, that they really are playing. Uh, it's really, um, uh, really changed the way this Manchester City so, side. No, we're not uh, going to win the, play win the title and create I, I an overload in the centre part. John Stones, of course, in the cold light of day, which means when you look at things in an objective way, we can all be very happy with our season. On the ball, Manchester City become a three-man defence. John Stones pushes up the pressure on field to Manchester City. We're not like top. And his passing is very good, but at the same time, controls very good. And it just means that it means we players like Gundogan, De Bruyne, have zero defensive responsibility, can really focus on getting into dangerous areas for this season. So, Tom, I don't want to go down the same Jack Grealish can stay wide. Let's cut it off the pitch. To all of our listeners, I'd invite you all that are in the middle. It means the defence centre stretch is going to be on social media platforms. Share our podcast with any of your friends who speak football in uh, English too, and, um, and leave us a like or a rating. Very well. We'd absolutely love that. You do like a good rating, like, uh, don't you? I think Shakhtar I love a good rating. Uh, just, employed this you know, tactic previously, where they were five stars, just the same. They press really that button. Five stars. I love that one as well. The player really gets us going. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure. European finals to come. See you next time. And one of their midfielders would drop back to make a back three uh but that fluid change of formation uh from a back four when you are defending the ball to a back three when you're attacking uh is certainly the way the game seems to be going and i expect more and more teams to adopt this tactic in the future yeah, I, I mean, it's all very well to say more teams will ad adopt this tactic, but it's incredibly demanding technically on the players. I mean, John Stones, I think for any other team, could be a midfielder. Um, but it, it, as I say, with this in this role, you you basically need to be a top class defender and a top class ball playing um, midfielder. We've seen it sometimes, kind of in reverse. We've seen. Uh, defensive midfielders drop back into defence, for example, Mascherano for, for Barcelona, for that great Barcelona side, uh, and even Rodri sometimes for Spain. Um, but to see it in reverse isn't so common. And it just creates a fluidity and, as I said, uh, a, a dominance in terms of numbers in the centre of the park, which basically means Manchester City are impossible to press. Um, they've always got an out ball. And I think that was the main difference between the two sides over the two games. Uh, Manchester City's press was successful. Um, you had players like Danny Carvajal. Who, uh, who I think was hiding from the ball. Uh, he was told to come deep to try and receive passes off Courtois, off Militao, and he wasn't coming deep. You can see he didn't want the ball. And then when Real Madrid did have possession, he wasn't pushing forward to try and make an attacking run either because he was scared about the threat uh, of the Manchester City counter-attack. So essentially... Through through dominance and the and the psychological effect of that dominance, you had Real Madrid players hiding, which I don't think I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I've I've never seen Real Madrid players make so many simple mistakes 
Uh, Valverde passing it out of play. Benzema, heavy first touches. Modric, anonymous. Uh, Tony Cruz um, subbed off very quickly. I mean, if we look at some of the changes that Real Madrid made, um, they took off Modric after 63 minutes. They took off Cruz after 70 minutes. That's that's the midfield that's won them, I think, four or five Champions League substituted. Ancelotti was desperate come the second half of this match. He was trying to change the momentum of the game and there was just nothing he could do. It was absolutely incredible performance from 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 um, from Manchester City. Let's focus a bit on the goals because um, we haven't really spoken about them. Bernardo Silva, if you were to uh, ask Pep Guardiola who his favourite player is, I think he would either say Bernardo Silva or uh, Gundogan because they're such technical players, able to receive the ball in so many difficult, tight situations. But they've also varied. They they can score goals, they can pass, they can they can track a man. I mean, Bernardo Silva's only small or, or slight uh, to be slight means to be kind of lightweight. But that doesn't mean he hasn't got a nasty side. He can leave his foot in. He knows how to use his body to regain possession. And and Gundogan's the same. I would agree with that. Bernardo Silva is a player who flatters to deceive, uh, which is an expression meaning that he's better than he appears to be. Uh, and you see that in the games with how busy he is. Technically on the ball, he looks very good, but he's not, his stature, his speed, his frame, by stature, I mean his body size. He doesn't look like the, the, the super specimen of a footballer that he truly is, but you can see how good he is and how much Pep Guardiola respects him because he's keeping Riyad Mahrez out the team. And Riyad Mahrez has arguably had uh, one of the best seasons probably since he was at Leicester City in terms of his contribution with crosses and goals. So I, I'd agree with you that. And and with regards to Gundogan, yes, there is, there's something about him. He's such a technical player with his turns, with his ability to, to lay a pass off. I was complimenting the pass he made for Kevin De Bruyne's goal last week as well. Uh, and he's a player who's in the goals and he's in the assists a lot more than you'd expect because he doesn't seem like the fastest player. He doesn't seem like a naturally attacking player, yet he's always there in the danger area, ready to make an important contribution towards the goal. Yeah, he certainly is. You've got to remember, he was captain of a great Borussia Dortmund side. Uh, he was really their talisman, meaning their representative on the pitch. Um, and 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 he, he you could... You could say he plays within himself for this Manchester City team. He knows his role and he doesn't really go into areas of the pitch where he's not asked to do anything. I think he plays a more limited role than he played at Borussia Dortmund, but that's because he's got quality all around him. I tried to make a list of some standout performances and I wrote Kyle Walker for, I think, uh, Vinicius didn't manage to dribble past him in either of the two games against Real Madrid. Bernardo Silva, Rodri is just a, a player who keeps the rhythm going for Manchester City. He's uh, he's he's Pep Guardiola's uh, uh, kind of representative on the pitch. Uh, I think you get the impression that uh, Pep is able to orchestrate the game through Rodri. But then after after those three players, I wrote everyone. And, and I think that is the secret with this Manchester City side. It's Sometimes they can be criticised for playing, a, and I've criticised them previously for playing a style of football which is so technical and so complex that under great pressure it can break down. 
but I think this was an example of where all of the all of the pieces, all of the different kind of dimensions that they have fell into place. And for any of those players to play the way they played, it means that the people around them were in the areas they expected them to be, playing the, the pass into the right place at the right time with the right speed on it. Um, I think you could, some of these Manchester City players, you could almost say they could shut their eyes and play with their eyes closed because they know where, the, where their teammates are going to be. Um, and that's got to be credit to Pep Guardiola and his team and his work on the training pitch and um, and his insistence on a style of play. Um, and I think also some credit to Pep Guardiola because over the over previous seasons, there has been a criticism that he's received that he's overthought things and in the biggest matches he's maybe made some changes that haven't haven't really been his his normal starting 11s i know and when he when they played the champions league final against chelsea they started without a defensive midfielder i know they've started without a with gabriel jesus in wide areas previously when he's been playing in the league up front uh, and pep has tended to uh, overthink things in the champions league when under great pressure but this time he backed his team he backed his tactic and it really worked um on the flip side tom uh, when I say on the flip side, I mean, on the other hand, uh, I'd like to, what, what do you think? Is this the end of the road for players like uh, Modric, Benzema, Cruz? I know Modric uh, has been offered an extension on his contract. There's talk about one or two seasons. Um, bearing in mind that they did require such miracles last season to to win the, the Champions League, you could argue that um, that maybe actually they were over, over the hill uh, a year ago. And to be over the hill means to be past your best. Can you see uh, Modric, Benzema and Cruz getting back to their best? Or do you think it's time for Real Madrid to, uh, to transition towards a more young midfield based on some of the players they already have in the squad, like Cavaninga, uh, Cavaminga and uh, Chouameni. Uh, obviously, they're interested in Bellingham as well. Do you think this is the end of this generation, Tom? I think it is, Tim. Not only the players you've mentioned. I, I, I do agree with keeping them, particularly someone like Modric, for an extra season, even if he's not going to play so much keep him out of the important games in the Champions League, but keep him there on the training ground, keep him there in the dressing room. A player like that with their experience uh, is is going to have a big uh, impact on the, the, the squad around him. But I, I feel these players, yes, you, you just can't expect to maintain the same level of performance when you're into your late 30s. It's amazing how... Uh, you know, I say that as Inter Milan are in the final now with players like Edin Dzeko and, you know, they've got plenty of over 30-year-olds. Uh, got Henry a who's who Magatarian. of rejects. That's right. You know, players well into their 30s now. So it's clear that the the technology, the, the health, the nutrition, the, the, the teams at these clubs are there to help these players keep going, playing at a very high level. However... If they're coming up against a 21-year-old like a Vinny Jr. with a lightning pace, they're not going to win those battles anymore. So I think that Real Madrid's going to have to get rid of those, not, not maybe immediately, but they're going to have to bring in some big names. I agree if they can keep Chouameni, he could take the place of someone. There's talk of Jude Bellingham. Uh, a player like that could make a big impact at Real Madrid, but they, they need to... Uh, Carlo, Carlo Ancelotti will probably have to go as well, I think. I think that the fact that they were out of the league title race from, from November, it was 
uh, all for Barcelona, really. Uh, the writing's on the wall. There's going to be uh, some big changes at Real Madrid in this summer, I think. Yeah, writing's on the wall means all the signs are there. I think this is the end of the road for Ancelotti. He's not known for uh, for for his uh, reshuffling of teams or or re- regeneration of squad uh, of squads. He's more known for getting the best out of of of, of top quality players who are there. Um, I think it's harsh though. He's had a great run as Real Madrid manager, um, and I think it's also potentially an example of some poor planning from Real Madrid. I think the the, the biggest names in the managerial market, uh, Pochettino, has already signed uh, for for Chelsea. I think Nagelsmann has ruled himself out of the Real Madrid job, although I'm not 100 sure if that's confirmed. So I don't really know where they would go next after Ancelotti. But uh, you know what it's like at Real Madrid, Tom. If you don't win it then you're sacked. Uh, I think Fabio Capello has been at Real Madrid manager twice. He's won the league twice and he's been sacked twice that summer. So uh, that says it all. If winning the league's not enough, then coming second in the league a long way off your greatest rivals and getting humiliated in the competition that you cherish most is uh, definitely not going to do it for him. Um, but Tom, just just to finish on this game... Um, do you think this Manchester City side will go on to win it? Um, they only need one more game of the last. They only need to win one more game from the last three in the Premier League to win the league. And of course, they've got Manchester United in the FA Cup final. Uh, the treble of the English League, the English Cup, and the European Cup has only been done once in the history of English football by Manchester United in 1999. So, of course, the motivation for the Manchester United players in that FA Cup final will be huge. Uh, Eric Tan Hag's team talk has been done for him um but do you think this manchester city side will go on to win the treble i do i th- i wouldn't bet against them uh manchester city so amanda you talked about the fa cup against manchester united manchester united really peaked back in february or march they were looking very good just after the world cup but they seem to be, as we have mentioned that expression, uh, they've got one eye on their summer holiday in Dubai. They're, they're not playing with the same intensity. They've lost some form. They've lost some momentum. So I expect Manchester City will be too strong for United. And then we've got this European Cup final, which, of course, won't be at the Etihad Stadium. It will be in Istanbul, I believe. So the venue will be more favourable yeah, but potentially even to to the Inter Milan, uh, the climate will be more similar to Italy. However, uh, when you look player for player at the two lineups, meaning the team sheets in that final, uh, you would probably take the Manchester City player over the Inter Milan player uh, for every position on that field. You know, at least ten of the eleven positions. So I think they have to be strong favourites for both. Yeah, I think so too. Just in terms of putting the domination into context, when Manchester United uh, won the treble in uh, 1999, it wasn't all plain sailing, which means an easy run. I remember that season like it was yesterday because it was Arsenal that suffered greatly. Um, Arsenal lost the penultimate game of the season to Leeds United, a Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank goal in the 85th minute. And that was the only reason Manchester United went into the last day of the season on top of the table. And uh, even on that last day of the season they had to overturn a one goal um, lead uh, for Tottenham and 
to be honest, I think Tottenham let them get back into the game because Tottenham didn't want Arsenal to win the league that day. Uh, and then the Champions League final, of course, they were 1-0 down against Bayern Munich and it was uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and uh, Teddy Sheringham's goals uh, in the 90th and 93rd minutes that took them to victory. So I don't think it was a dominant league performance or European Cup run like this Manchester City um, side have shown this season. Um, Tom... Let's talk a bit about Inter Milan, AC Milan. I did watch bits of the match, but I was also um, feeding babies and um, dealing with all sorts of things that I've never dealt with before in my life. Although I did watch the first leg and from what I get gathered from the second game, it was a question of Inter Milan knew the hard work was done. Um, AC Milan didn't have any surprises, didn't have any great dangers. Rafael Leao, who had of course had missed the first game, was back for that second leg, but they weren't able to really create any danger for Inter. And, and like the last 20 minutes of the first game, you felt that Inter Milan were just managing the game and would have been able to up the speed if they needed to. So I think it is an exciting Champions League final, but I think the the, the big, the big favourite will be um, Manchester City. No surprise to hear you say that about the Milan derby, because... I felt watching the first leg that a psychological battle had been fought and won convincingly by Inter Milan, particularly in the first half of that game. They assumed their superiority tactically as a team. They were able to attack and penetrate through the AC Milan midfield and defence fairly, fairly comfortably, fairly easily. In contrast, AC Milan were... Puffing and panting, which expressions meaning that they were breathing in and out very deeply, working very hard, but going nowhere. So it was clear that Inter Milan already knew exactly how to play to, to get the performance they needed to go through to the final. So I, I, I'm not surprised by the result at all. Yeah. Uh, and just before we get to uh, the highlight of your week, let's focus a bit on the Europa League. Of course, uh, Jose Mourinho, I don't know how many European finals he's got to now, but you've got to take your hat off and give it, give him some credit. He really knows how to get the best out of uh, his teams in European football. And let's uh, not forget that Tammy Abraham, if he were to win the Europa League, will become the first player to win the Champions League, the Europa League, the Europa Conference League and the Europa Youth League. So um, that would be quite an achievement for such an average player um sorry tammy and of course in the second match uh sevilla juventus um i think no real surprises that sevilla went through for anyone who watched the first leg they were t they were definitely the better side in Turin. so this leg this game being back in spain um in fact the only surprise was that it went to extra time and it was so tight juventus um you know, did better. They they scored the first goal through Vlavic, uh, but Suso in the in the got got Sevilla back into the game, and then Tottenham fans will know Eric Lamella uh, managed to produce on probably the biggest stage of his career to uh, to put Sevilla into the final. And Sevilla have got that Europa League pedigree, haven't they? Uh, if you think of uh, Lopetegui, Unai Emery, they've they've had so much Juan, success. Juan de Ramos. Juan de Ramos, I think they've won the Europa League more than any other side. Um, so you certainly wouldn't back, you certainly wouldn't go against them. But saying that, you've got Jose Mourinho on the other side. So Tom, prediction for Roma against Sevilla, please, prediction. Now, Sevilla, this is a, a very tough one because Sevilla seem to have 
an incredible momentum. Uh, you know, they have that spirit of the underdog because their season has been so poor up until their new manager has stepped in in March. Uh, in contrast, though, Jose Mourinho has that European pedigree. He knows how to get the best out of his players at his disposal, and he knows how to manage a game very well to nullify the opponent. So for me, the experience of Mourinho is just going to edge it on this one, and Roma are going to win their second European trophy in two years. Okay, Tom, so let's get to the part of the night that you've been looking forward to then. West Ham, AZ Alkmaar. Glorious scenes for the West Ham fans and West Ham players. Also some slightly, well not slightly, incredibly concerning scenes at the final whistle with some crowd trouble, which we'll come to that. But first, Tom, what's your, what, what, your, what are your feelings? Uh, first European final in your lifetime. Um, how did you feel? How did you celebrate? Uh, yes, tell me all about it. Uh, it, it was a bit nerve-wracking when there's only one goal between the two teams. It's always going to be that way because, you know, every time they attack, you, you sense that, you know, the game is is uh, balancing on a, on a knife's edge, as we say, an expression meaning that one goal and suddenly everything changes. However, West Ham did defend very, very well. Tactically, we set up a low block, a, a low block block describes really when we're defending deep with a, a back four and then a midfield in front of the back four but fairly close to them so there's a limited amount of space to work through and it works very well uh, Alkmaar are a possession team they've got some fantastic players uh, Carlson came back on the left wing he was looking very dangerous uh, their captain Classy looks very good Reinders impeccable in his passing as well their young central midfielder so they had good players they had a I thought a very solid defense as well their two fullbacks I give them credit Kerkez stopped Bowen on the right uh, and Sugarwara stopped Ben Rama on the left but they couldn't attack they couldn't get through our defense uh, and that's a credit really to our defenders Zuma has been I'm using the word again, impeccable for the last part of this season. He didn't put a foot wrong, nor did Declan Rice. It was a superb captain's performance. Everything he did was was just you couldn't you couldn't ask him to make a better decision every single time he was on the ball. So we were pretty effective in stopping them. Uh, and it worked out in the second half. They had more possession. They had a couple of dangerous uh, crosses going across the box uh, from Kirkes on the left, but we had more dangerous chances actually on the counter-attack. Uh, and it got right to extra time in the 92nd minute where they were tired, they were pushing forward, and uh, Pablito Fornells, our substitute, uh, knocked the ball, ball past Classy, uh, went through on goal and, and slid it into the corner, and just great relief jubilation joy all around for all of us hammers uh except for those ones in the stadium as you mentioned tim immediately after the whistle uh did you hear about what happened yeah i did um the az alkmaar ultras broke down a barrier and invaded the uh the the family enclosure the players family and friends enclosure nasty scenes um such such to the extent that the I mean maybe you didn't see this live because you were off celebrating but I was listening on the radio and heard it reported live and um yeah to think that friends and family of, of players can go to a match and and be in danger is a horrible thing to to think 
Um, I've seen quite a few problems with the Dutch league this season, pitch invasions. I think there was a goalkeeper who was punched. I think uh, a match was cancelled recently for a bottle was thrown onto the pitch. Um, and it seems to be an increasing problem. I've, we've also got Eddie Howe, who was recently pushed whilst in his managerial area uh, in the Premier League. Um, it seems to be a problem. And I think uh, the footballing authorities need to come down hard. I, I don't know if there was any, um, I, I hope there were no kind of serious injuries uh, among the, the West Ham uh, fans or, or friends or, or family of the of the players. But it's ugly scenes, Tom. It's not what we want to see in football and we need to take measures to stop it. I was watching, but obviously the TV cameras didn't highlight this, what was going on in the corner. But we could see the concern on the, the faces of the West Ham players and, and, and their team there, obviously knowing that their friends and family were in that part. Uh, I understand that it was about 30 AZ Alkmaar fans who pulled on black balaclavas and black hoodies and then launched an attack. They broke down a gate to try and get into the, the West Ham away fan enclosure. And there were a few brave West Ham fans who tried to stand up and defend, uh, you know, stop them getting through. But I also understand that there was no police there. There were some stewards, but the stewards were hopelessly outnumbered. Uh, AZ Alkmaar, the club, have apologised to West Ham, to the fans. They say they will deal with the matter. So it seems that, uh, you know, punishments will come. Hopefully these fans will never, the, these hooligans uh, from Alkmaar will never set foot in their stadium again. Uh, with the amount of cameras that will be on them, I would expect they can be successfully identified, even with the black, the balaclavas on. So uh, it was very ugly to hear about that. And perhaps it's a reflection of, uh, you know, the, the, the slightly more chaotic times we're living in now in our society, because there seem, I don't know it's, if it's because everyone's got a smartphone, but it does seem to be that, violence is a bit more prevalent than it used to be. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think it's the, you've seen an upsurge, an upturn in violence post-COVID, post the pandemic. I think people being locked away in their houses um, and a lot of people being very angry about that for an extended period of time. Um, there is a strong correlation between uh, the COVID period finishing um, and uh, and this kind of increased violence, uh, prevalence of violence in football. I don't think it's a reaction to the vaccine, um, but it could be, uh, could be a side effect. I, you can never tell. But Tom, um, just having a look at the Premier League title, uh, table here West Ham sitting comfortably six points off the drop I believe they were able to make six changes last weekend in the Premier League um you're in your first Europa European final in your lifetime I mean is this the most could this be the most successful season in your life as a West Ham supporter if we win a European trophy then uh, I will have to Eat all those nasty words I said about David Moyes earlier in the season, Tim. I, I was expressing a lot of frustration with the tactics, with the counter-attacking style of football, uh, with not really having any special ideas or anything innovative. By innovative, I, I felt like he was too predictable, David Moyes, not creative. However, uh, I tip my hat to him. If, if we could win this trophy, assuming we will lose Declan Rice in the summer, no problem. We'll get in plenty of good players to replace him, I'm sure. So, yeah, Tom, after this magical result and the way David Moyes has been able to turn around the season, um, I've got two main questions, really. One is, should he stay 
and be backed by the board. Um, the, the owners wanted European football at the, uh, the London Stadium again, and they've got it. They've got successful European football. Um, and, uh, and secondly, if he weren't to be, if he weren't to stay, if he were to be sacked for the style of football, who would want to go to West Ham knowing that they're not a, the biggest club in London? They're not like one of the top teams in English football. And a manager like David Moyes has gone in there, had some really good seasons. He's had, I think, two or three top 10 finishes. He's now had some really good European um, runs, not just this season, but also the the previous two seasons, I believe. So what kind of a manager? It's a lot of pressure on a new manager to come in knowing that your previous guy has done objectively a good job and still lost his job. So Tom, do you think he should uh, should stay and and be backed and just accept this kind of football? Because today you called it a low block, but previously I've heard you call it a defensive football with no no attacking intent. So, I mean, you I mean I I know sometimes a low block when the other team stop you, you know, score a goal and then you don't have the players on the pitch to create any danger yourself can look like no attacking intent, but. On the other hand, you could say that he's able to make West Ham perform above the the collect the, the kind of individual pieces they've got on the pitch. So, what do you think, Tom? That final comment: he's able to make West Ham perform above the individual pieces they've got on the pitch. I actually disagree with that. When I look at the amount of money that West Ham have spent on their squad, uh, especially in the last five years, uh, I believe that you know their performance has been what you would expect we are we i believe in terms of spending we are in the top 12 clubs in the world for the amount of money we we have spent on players recently so we certainly don't consistently perform like a top 12 team uh should Moyes stay or go i'm still inclined to say that we do need someone fresh tim I, I'm not as convinced as I was a few months ago, because if Moyes does win the trophy, then I have to start thinking, well, you know, he's he's given us success for the first time since 1980. Uh, however, just like we were talking about Manchester City, you know, moving John Stones into midfield when they've got the ball and having an extra hem drop back into defence when they don't have the ball. I want to see these kinds of innovations happening in the tactics at West Ham. I don't think David Moyes is the man to deliver them. Uh, no, I agree. I agree he's not the man to deliver them. But realistically, who in world football is? You've got Pep Guardiola. He's not going to West Ham. You've got maybe Nangelsman, uh, maybe Klopp. But they're, you're, they're looking, you're looking at the top, top, top drawer of football managers. Um, and unfortunately for West Ham, they're not really going to be attracting um, that kind of manager. And what, what do you think about my other question about if they were to sack him, what kind of message would that send to any incoming manager? Well, I think uh, that second question is part and parcel of the modern game. You know, you uh, you make a good point. You sack a manager who has just won the trophy, but you did point out that Real Madrid did that with Fabio Capello after he won the league a couple of times. So it's not unusual in the modern game that managers, they don't stay for a long time. And uh, 
you know, I think it's part and parcel of the business that any manager taking that job will know that they're only a run of six bad defeats in a row from getting the sack anyway. So I don't think sacking him will have an effect on the the prestige, the respect that the club has. Uh, I, I do think that, uh, you know, we're not going to get one of those big names you mentioned just yet, but it is possible uh, going back to a club who I've waxed lyrical about, meaning I've talked very highly of teams like Brighton can find very good managers. Uh, I believe they got Deserbi from Shakhtar Donetsk. There are other managers performing across the European leagues. Uh, by performing, I mean over-performing with teams in relation to to the quality of those actual players as individuals. So I think West Ham, we probably need to change something within our board, within our, within our management, but we should be looking at how Brighton are doing things and looking to adapt and copy their model. And then I think we could find a talented manager, not a big-name manager, but a talented manager who could make us better in possession with the ball. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I can't really argue with anything you're saying there. I just think um, you, when a manager has success, you need to stick with him, especially considering you might be losing Declan Rice this summer. To lose your captain and your manager um, in the same season, and they're both very British, they're both very vocal, and you can imagine in that changing room there, they would be, it would be a lot of influence lost in the same summer. Um, so, Tom, looking forward to the final... It's uh, it's Fiorentina, uh, a European great. I remember Arsenal Fiorentina in Champions Leagues with Gabriel Battistuta scoring for them. I mean, I've been to the to the Florence Stadium. Uh, they're a wonderful set of fans. They'll definitely up for the match. Um, and you could argue West Ham, as you say, have got the bigger budget. But you you would definitely also argue that Fiorentina have the more European pedigree, um, meaning they've got more experience and uh, possibly know how at that level. So what do you think, Tom, going forward? Uh, of course, um, Fiorentina in Serie A, um, they're, they're ninth in Serie A, so it's, they're not having a great season, but also they're not doing that badly either. So looking forward, what do you think, what do you think we can expect from the final? I think that the best team, the best two teams did get to the final. First of all, I, I watched the extra time with Basel and Fiorentina, and uh, it was clear that Fiorentina were on top. Tactically, they were much better. They had a lot more weaponry off the bench, meaning they were making attacking subs who came on and make the difference. Players like Ikone or the the final goal scorer, Barak. Uh, they, of course, have got one of the players of the World Cup, Sofian Amrabat, controlling things, pulling the strings in midfield. Uh, so I anticipate that West Ham will do their usual surrender possession. Fiorentina and Amrabat will be having the majority of the ball, uh, but West Ham will be dangerous on the break again. We've got, uh, you know, our, our front three, Antonio, Ben Rama and Jared Bowen are a handful for any defence. I don't care which de defence you put in. Well, perhaps Manchester City could <laughs> control us, but... A team like Fiorentina, I think we can be very, very dangerous, especially if Paquita, he wasn't quite finding his passing last night. But if Paquita uh, is able to to deliver a big performance, then I think that we we will beat Fiorentina if our players deliver. But I'm anticipating a close game. I'm anticipating there will be nerves. 
on both sides. Uh, and actually, I, I think it's best for the tournament that the two, seemingly the two best teams have made it to the final. Uh, yes, Fiorentina look good, but they look beatable. I, I should say, you are right, they're only eighth in the league, but they are having a very good season. They could win a cup double this year. I think they're in the final of the Italian Cup as well. So, Ah, nice. Um, yeah, talking about Italian football, you say it's good for the Europa Conference League that the two best teams have got to the final. I think it's good for world football that uh, an Italian team is in the Champions League final, the Europa League final and the Conference League final. Italian football hasn't been at its best over the last 10 years. It's been dominated by Juventus, who have never really... Um, have never really played exciting football. And you see some of these emerging sides from Italy playing a new style of football, not the typical Italian football, Napoli, Atalanta, uh, Sassuolo on their day, um, and even AC Milan when they won the league last season. Um, it's good to see Italian football healthy um and it's great to see a league you know they've got it's not just one or two big clubs they've got the two milan clubs they've got juventus they've got roma they've got lazio they've got napoli of course um so it is an exciting league and to, and i think that the fact that it's moving away from this kind of defensive based football is only going to lead to greater things for italian football i think uh, the international market will be more interested in buying tv rights for high amounts of money so maybe they can start competing on a financial level with uh, with spain and, and and of course the premier league um maybe you're uh, old enough to remember team that that italian football it was the dominant league uh, in european football in the 1980s it kind of had a, a, a slow decline through the 90s and then it had the corruption scandal with juventus uh, around 2005 2006 and it's taken a long time to recover almost 20 years but it does seem like now we have a renaissance of italian football yeah, and fair play because they're very passionate football fans. They love their clubs. And it's one of those countries, as I said, they've got six big clubs. That doesn't happen if if you've got, uh, like in Spain, a Real Madrid or a Barcelona dominance. Uh, it's good for the ecosystem of football when when there's lots at the beginning of a season. You don't really know who's going to be up there. Um, I mean, look at Napoli this season. Nobody, nobody expected them to run away with it. Um, Tom, it's been another great week of European football. Uh, we've got the finals to look forward to. And of course, before then, we've got uh, the uh, the run in um, in, in, in the league title in the leagues all across Europe and, and some cup finals as well. So it's can, exciting can, times. Can Arsenal still win the league? Um, we can. We're not going to. Uh, Manchester <laughs> City just have to win one of their last three games. But I, I think, Tom... As I said earlier, this this Manchester City result against uh, Real Madrid shows that Arsenal have been competing with one of the greatest sides in the Premier League, definitely, in European football, definitely, possibly over the last 10, 20 years. I think anyone who, who really kind of got involved in Real Madrid, Manchester City this week, I mean, I've heard people call it... Pep Guardiola's greatest ever performance. Um, I mean, it's hard to say, really, because, you know, he had Messi and all those great players at Barcelona and he had a very dominant side at Bayern Munich. But for it to be in that conversation um, shows that they really are uh, a juggernaut. Uh, they're unstoppable. So, no, we're not going to win the win the title. I, I think Arsenal fans obviously are disappointed, but in the cold light of day, which means when you look at things in an objective way, we can all be very happy with our season. Nobody expected us to come second. 
nobody expected us to to put the pressure on to 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 Manchester City. We're not like Tottenham though. We're not going to go out and celebrate coming second. But at the same time, um, we shouldn't be too critical because we were we came eighth last season. I oh, know, sorry, we came fifth last season and eighth or ninth the season before. And our objective was just to compete for the top four this season. Um, so Tom. Uh, I don't want to go down the Arsenal street today, so let's uh, let's cut it off there. Let's cut it off there. To all of our listeners, I'd invite you all, I'd ask you all to get involved in the conversation. Send us a question on any of our social media platforms. Share our podcast with any of your friends who speak football in English too. And... Um, and leave us a like or a rating. We'd absolutely love that. You do like a good rating, Tom, don't you? I love a good rating. Or just, you know, a, a quick tick of the five stars just a little press of that button five stars i love that one as well yeah it really gets us going tom it's been an absolute pleasure european finals to come see you next time bye bye